the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The cringe meter is broken. That's right. It happened last night on CNN. You remember the name Jeffrey Tubin? He was around a long time. Remember the story about why he was taken off the air by CNN? And do you think, did you think that, that you would ever see him uh, on CNN again? Well, there he was last night in all his glory. And he didn't just make a triumphant return to network news. He won a very prestigious award. And now it's time for the Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Uh, yeah, Jeffrey is a strong candidate for Jerk of the Century. Allison Camarada starts it off. Let's bring in CNN Chief Legal Analyst Jeffrey Tubin to talk about this and more. Hi, Jeffrey. Hello, Allison. It's been a while. It has been a while, indeed. I feel like we should address um, what's happened in the months since we've seen you, since some of our viewers may not know what has happened. So uh, I guess I'll recap. I'll do the honors. <laughs> Help yourself. Okay. Um, in October, you were on a Zoom call with your colleagues from the New Yorker magazine. Everyone took a break for several minutes, during which time you were caught masturbating on camera. Uh, you were subsequently fired from that job after 27 years of working there. And you, since then, have been on leave from CNN. Do I have all that right? Um, you got it all right. Sad to say. Okay, so let's start there. Okay. Um, to quote Jay Leno, what the hell were you thinking? Well, obviously, uh, I wasn't thinking very well or very much. And um, it was something that was inexplicable to me. I think one point, I, I wouldn't exactly say in my defense, because nothing is really in my defense. I didn't think I was on the call. I didn't think other people could see me. You so, thought that you had turned off your camera? Correct. I thought that I had turned off the Zoom call. Now, that's not a defense. This was deeply moronic and indefensible. But, I mean, that, that, is, part of, that, that is part of the story. Um, and, you know, I have spent the seven subsequent months, miserable months in my life, I can certainly confess. Um, trying to be a better person. I mean, in therapy, trying to do some public service, um, working in a food bank, which I certainly am going to continue to do. Yeah, the old I'm working at a food bank routine. If anybody should have walked away, it should have been Jeff. But if he had, he wouldn't have won the Windows or Us Jerk of the Week Award. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R Us, Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit WindowsRUsPittsburgh.com. Sometimes when you get busted, you just need to face it and disappear. You know, kind of like what Bill Clinton should have done. When we come back, hate crimes, uh, but not against people of color, people of a certain religion, Catholics. 
And in our second half hour, we're going to go back to the Alamo, a new favorite target of liberals who hate America. Stick around. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows R Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows R Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offers valid through 63021. All with 12 months no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrustpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrustpittsburgh.com. As dads, it's our job to capture as many memories with our kids as possible. It's also our job to embarrass them, and if we're lucky, we get to do both. That's why I'm thankful my son created Legacy Box, the world's largest digitizer of home movies and photos. And I'll never recover from the time you showed up to my middle school dance to disco in front of Everyone. Thanks, Dad. But he's right. Simply fill your legacy box with your old VHS, camcorder tapes, film reels, and photos, and we'll do the rest. And in just a couple of weeks, you'll get your originals back, along with a DVD, thumb drive, or cloud delivery. Stuff that even an old man like me can figure out. Check out Legacy Box today. Plus, for Father's Day, we're offering an incredible 50% off. Visit LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. This is one of the best discounts we've offered. That's LegacyBox.com slash LBOX for 50% off. LegacyBox.com slash LBOX. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950. The reviews are amazing, as this is one product that actually works. With water, it breaks down the bonds of stains and odors, so they're gone for good. Its antibacterial component removes pet odors from carpet and padding. It can be used in a carpet cleaning machine, and it's green, so it's safe for your family and pets. Genesis 950 is made in America. If you are tired of pet cleaners that don't work, it's time to buy Genesis 950. One gallon of industrial-strength Genesis 950 makes up to seven gallons of cleaner. But Genesis 950 is not just for pet stains. It's great for bathrooms, kitchens, floors, upholstery, and grease stains. Consider Genesis 950 before purchasing new carpets. Genesis 950 has great customer service. Order one gallon direct at Genesis950.com to receive a free spray bottle, free shipping, and $10 coupon using code PETS. That's $10 coupon using code PETS. That's Genesis950.com. Discount only available at Genesis950.com. Genesis 950. Much cheaper than replacing your carpets. 2021 one's the perfect time to add a healthy new habit to your daily wellness routine. Good nasal hygiene. We all know there's bad stuff in the air, allergens, bacteria, viruses, and that some of it's very dangerous. So what can you do to protect yourself? Well, you can clean your nose with Navage. Your nose is the body's air filter, and with Navage, you help your body defend itself by flushing out the crud and germs. I'm Martin Hoke, and I invented Navage, the world's only nose cleaner with powered suction. Navage is easy to use, affordable, and it has over 40,000 online reviews, averaging 4.7 stars. 
Join millions of Navage users to relieve congestion and allergies, breathe better, sleep deeper, snore less, and feel healthier without drugs. At Navage.com, CVS, Walgreens, Bed Bath, Target, and Rite Aid. You wash your hands and brush your teeth every day. Let 2021 be the year you start cleaning your nose with Navage. N-A-V-A-G-E. Clean nose, healthy life. Navage. Warning, listening to this program may expose you to toxic masculinity. The John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The Answer. Uh, Hate crimes have been in the news a lot for the last several years. Most of them uh, racially motivated, and a lot of them turned out to be hoaxes, by the way. But there are lots of hate crimes that are all about religion, especially the Catholic religion. Uh, Chris Bedford, senior editor at The Federalist, has a long list of examples, and he joins us now. Chris, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So you have uh, lots of examples of some pretty nasty incidents. Uh, Should we be surprised that they haven't received more attention from the media? It's, it's really sad that they haven't, because you'd, you'd think that they would, with a Catholic president and Catholic Supreme Court and a Catholic Speaker of the House, or at least ostensibly so. You'd, you'd think that these sorts of things would come into focus, where especially at a time where a lot of the immigrants coming to this country are Catholic, where you have leaders of the church who've been marching with all the right left-wing causes and standing up for all the things the Democrats like, and and a number of them are also conservative. But this is a group of people that are at the forefront of trying to help when when, when people are hurting and are are, are very very charitable as a whole uh, to other countries and to the people here. So when you have vandals attacking churches from New York, uh, up to Massachusetts, all the way to California and Washington and down to Texas, and a massive increase in these attacks and absolutely brutal attacks on these churches and on the sacred art. It, it seems like it ought to be so easy for there to be an outcry from our politicians and not simply our church leaders. And, and instead, we're just met with this deafening silence. It's this idea that, well, who cares? They're just part of an oppressor class, and we can take them for granted. And it's sad to see, and I'm trying to just bring more attention amongst a lot of people who are going about their lives, would like to know about this stuff, but haven't been told because it doesn't fit a media narrative. Yeah, I'm wondering if in your research, and you have lots of examples here of, um, as I said, of of some nasty incidents. uh, Did you run into, uh, were you able to figure out what kind of coverage it got locally when it happened? Was there the kind of outrage it might have gotten if any other groups, especially uh, blacks, uh, would would have been or Hispanics, uh, would have been uh, subjected to su- subjected to something like this? Yes, fortunately, a lot of the local papers will cover it, and then they'll cover the follow up. And if there's anything that comes out of it, especially if the bishop or the archbishop or the priest is is, is vocal about it, then these things get picked up. But they don't generate a huge amount of interest uh, broadly beyond that. They're almost treated like a, a special kind of extremely heinous vandalism. And, and they're extremely local stories, whether it's in Brooklyn, it's just in two neighborhoods uh, right next to each other in Brooklyn, you see Windsor Terrace neighborhood uh, and then the Bensonhurst neighborhood, vandals breaking in, decapitating baby Jesus, shattering wooden crucifixes, burning flags, um, going throughout in San Diego and shattering century-old stained-glass windows and, and, and cutting the heads off of a kneeling St. Juan Diego, who was the first indigenous American saint uh, that, was, that was made a saint in the United States or in the world, uh, 
these attacks are flagrant, and I, I think a lot of the people are getting away with them because there are so many people that don't really care at all. The A lot of the leaders that we have in the Church are, or at least in the state, who, are, who said that they're Catholic, aren't, aren't really following the codes. They're openly thumbing their noses at, at the bishops to a point where the U.S. bishops, who are generally a Democratic bunch, are considering cracking down on them and saying, hold on a second, you can't break teaching after teaching after teaching so publicly and still be in communion with the church. But this is, there's, been a real, there's been a real thing going on in, in the Catholic Church over the last 50 years where there hasn't been any pushback, and there hasn't been people who've been standing up for the church as, as often as they would. And people forget this idea that this is all simply about mercy and all simply about forgiveness, and they forget the idea that those two things only come with repentance, and that there is, you don't, when you walk by a crackhead, for example, on the side of the street who you don't know, maybe you, maybe you just pass that person and say, I hope they get better someday. But if you walk by someone in your family, a cousin, a brother, a son, who is suffering like that in the street, you absolutely stop and you take them in and you correct them, you might punish them, but then you try to help them. And you do that because you love them. And that's been completely lost in the last number of decades in our society replaced only with go along, get along, wishy-washy, don't stand up for yourself, to the point that even Pope Francis came out last week and said, we need to bring back this, this love and this love that comes with correcting people when they attack you, when they do wrong, and when they do wrong against your neighbors. That is part of our mission here as well. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, I follow this, the news pretty closely, uh, doing a show like this, and I read your piece at the Federalist, and I was—I have to tell you—I was shocked at the number of incidents you pointed out and the and the uh, the nastiness of it. Um, I, I was not aware. I mean, I know that it's out there, but to the degree that you uh, wrote about it in your piece, uh, it, it shocked me. Well, I'm glad to bring attention to it, and it's been getting some attention for that. There was a group called the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts, and people look at Massachusetts, they've seen all the movies. It's not unlike Pennsylvania and a lot of it's the people who, who came there, a lot of the Irish, and it's got a lot of that big Catholic tradition to it. So you'd think it'd be a, a completely safe sort of area. The, uh, they, since they started the Catholic Action League of Massachusetts, when they first started, the number of years about six, there was only one or so attack a year. Now they're up to, just in the past year, 15 attacks. And that's just in Massachusetts. That's not nationwide. Intentional attacks on churches. I'm not talking about students going in, spray painting in their school, or maybe breaking some windows at the school because they don't want to go back in on Monday. I'm talking about decapitating statues of Christ and trying to steal the Eucharist and shattering crucifixes. Real hateful incidents designed, and I use the word hate crime because they are designed to inflict fear on the broader population of Christians and on the broader community there. They've been getting away with it with impunity, and it's really not surprising because our society has become so unbelievably tolerant of that sort of thing, and at the same time so intolerant of Christian, of Christian religion and calling, that, calling what Christians believe bigotry so openly, whether it's Vice President Kamala Harris or Senator Maisie Hirono of Hawaii coming out and saying this, but there's no wonder that people feel really courageous and, and they feel emboldened to attack Christianity wherever they see it. And you mentioned uh, several incidents there, but is there any one area of the country where this is more likely to happen, north, south, east, west? Sadly, it seems to be global. 
It's or, or mm-hmm. national. It seems to be everywhere. Yeah. And I was surprised at that. I was wondering, I mean, traditionally, historically, the Ku Klux Klan and the Knights of Columbus would go at it. The, the South, the young reconstructed South, really didn't get along very well with Catholics at all. They didn't like them there. They considered them immigrant invaders. And there's been a history of that in the United States, whether you're in Maryland or much further south of that, that bigotry and that pushed back against foreign influence. We even saw it when John F. Kennedy was elected president. But when you come to it today, when Catholics have generally been accepted across the country as a, as a pretty normal and, and acceptable part of this country and part of our social fabric, these attacks are simply everywhere. And that's what makes me realize it's not some local politician and it's not just some local news site or it's not a local story. It is, it is a national feeling of evil and a complete tolerance for it. Is this an anti-Christian thing, and Catholics just happen to be a more visible target? Because, uh, you know, Catholics uh, do uh, have statues and uh, different um, th- uh, visible items that are, are, are uh, attached to the religion that make them, make them stand out. And, and, and make an, I mean, it's a, a nice big statue is a big target for somebody with a uh, can of spray paint. I think that I think that's a large part to do with it. Catholicism is the oldest Christian religion, is probably the most prominent Christian religion globally. Really stands out with its statues, with its older churches, with its robes and traditions. You're not going to see a rainbow flag in front of a Catholic church. Typically, you're going to see an old Gothic building with ancient stained glass and. And bad, bad people and evil things don't like that beauty. They don't like that tradition. They don't like the Latin. They don't like the incense. They don't like the cross. And, and, and those things create a visceral reaction in evil, and they always have. So this, it's been an ancient battle between the forces of dark and the forces of light. And oftentimes, for 2,000 years, the Catholics have been a focal point of that. And I think that is really playing into this now. Because there have been Chris attacks Bet- on Protestant churches as well. We're talking to Chris Bedford. He's a senior editor at The Federalist. You can find his piece, and we don't have time to go into it in as much detail as he does in his piece at The Federalist today, but it's real amazing, uh, all the, the examples you cite. Uh, one of the more interesting ones uh, is uh, a statue of St. Uh, Junipero Serra uh, that was ripped down, um, and uh, out, that's out there in Nancy Pelosi's uh, country. And she didn't seem to be all that upset about it. And it was the whole idea of targeting him is pretty dumb anyway, isn't it? It is. St. Jennifer Serra was a, was a Spaniard who was here in California who hundreds of years ago was, was had a mission in Cal, what is now California where he was tending to and, and, and bringing Christianity to and charity to, to the native population that hadn't heard this. And they were being mistreated by the Spaniards. The Spaniards, a lot of them were just there to be colonists. They weren't, they were interested in the money and they were interested in slave labor. They weren't interested in saving souls or helping people. And because of their mistreatment, he walked all the way from central California down to Mexico city, a very long journey on foot and back to bring words to the Spanish capital, of the mistreatment of natives in the far off outpost that he was in. And his statue is celebrated all across California because of that. You can see it in Sacramento. You can see it in San Francisco, or at least it used to be. It's become a really great big target over the last 10 years. And if you go back just to 2015, you can find pictures of the whole John Boehner and everyone else in the delegation, Vice President Joe Biden, and also now President and Speaker of the House, then Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, with Pope Francis in front of the statue of St. Sarah at the Vatican. And they're looking nice for their photo op. 
But when those were torn down in their home districts and torn down in their own states from their watch when they had power, Nancy Pelosi was so flippant. She said, I'm busy trying to save the world from coronavirus and asked about the attacks on her constituents and a religion that she ostensibly is a member of. Yeah, um, I wonder when I see pictures, as you, as you, I think the, there's a picture uh, of them that you're talking about is that, uh, with your piece today. Uh, I wonder what the, there's the, I mean, I know you don't know the answer to this, but I may, maybe you wonder like I do, what kind of conversation does the Pope have with people like Joe, Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi who uh, are, are they, they're Catholics in name only, and, and they only use their Catholicism when it comes in handy? And, and I think right now you're starting to see the, the Catholic clergy, which has generally always been open to this, and they just wanted to maintain an avenue to the politicians. But they've been so mistreated and so ignored and so flouted in this country that there is a real it's, – it's caused confusion and it's caused consternation in the, in the broader Christian community. That There's no response from the alleged shepherds of the, of the community so because of that, there's an upcoming conference this weekend. If, uh, anyone out there who's, who's a prayerful person should pray for them to decide what they're going to do and if they're going to finally speak up and stand up to these, to these politicians. And, and to his credit, the Archbishop of, of San Francisco has been vocal on this matter and on, and on Nancy Pelosi and on the problems he's seen and the attacks on the church and the saints. Uh, and uh, how much of, how much of, uh, this is abortion. I think abortion, abortion. and the, the, the Catholic and a lot of the more fundamental Christian refusal to bend on abortion, on, on traditional marriage and protecting that as a sacred institution on life. Those are things that fly in the face of what the left want, because a lot of the Catholics are willing to go along with them on the global warming and on, on the aspects of charity that they agree with. And, and on adoption agencies, but the state has even turned on Catholic adoption agencies because they, they won't give children to, to couples that they don't think are in a traditional, traditional marriage. They won't give it to single people and they won't give babies over to gay couples. Just any kind of resistance at all, no matter how many places the Catholic faith has met the left wing politicians, any kind of resistance to them is met with immediate condemnation and swift attack. And that just shows you that. You can't come halfway to meet these people. They want to come for the whole thing, or you're just an enemy of theirs. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask you. Finishing up here with Chris Bedford, senior editor at The Federalist. Um, uh, you, you seem to be a guy who um, writes about your Catholicism a lot. You, you wear it on your sleeve proudly. Um, is the church, either uh, globally or nationally, doing enough to speak out about this? And and rather, and, and rather than waiting for incidents to happen and then reacting to them? No, the church isn't speaking out enough on anything, and it hasn't been since the 1960s. And, and, you, can, you, can, you can see the proof of this in massive declining church attendance. You can see the proof of this in how many Catholics don't even believe in the true presence in the Eucharist, which is a central, in the, in the presence of Christ in our communion, which is central to our religion. They don't even know these things because they're not taught this. And when the politicians mm-hmm. closed our churches and closed our doors to the things that we think are necessary for our spiritual health to protect our physical health, when they did that, the archbishops and the bishops just went along with it and said, well, that's okay, it's for our own good. And they acted like they were subjects of governors and mayors. When in reality, 
they ought to consider themselves the equals of the governors and the mayors and the politicians. They are the, the representatives of a different thing here on this earth and shouldn't be bowing to them. And the same goes broadly, but not across the board. You see, you see Cardinal Strickland down in Texas and Archbishop out in San Francisco who have really spoken out about this and said no. But uh, broadly, there's so much just trying to go along and get along and snap a picture of the politician that they've led the faithful astray. And you find a lot more, just like it was 500 years ago or 1,000 years ago, you find a lot more from your local parish priest typically than you do from the politicians at the top of the church. Hey, great uh, piece today, Chris. Uh, for any uh, anybody Catholic or non-Catholic, should check it out at thefederalist.com. It's amazing what's going on out there and getting very little attention. Chris, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Okay, and that's Chris Bedford, and we'll be right back. With SRN News, I'm John Scott. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson has said that the group of seven wealthy democracies must learn from the pandemic and not repeat errors made over the past 18 months. Johnson says the pandemic will have a large impact on the world for years to come. What risks being a lasting uh, scar is that I think the inequalities may be Entrenched. Meanwhile, British police say seven people have been arrested after officers found two vehicles traveling close to the Group of Seven Summit venue in southwest England. They were carrying paint, smoke grenades, and loudspeakers. Swiss authorities have temporarily restricted the airspace over the city of Geneva and deployed up to 1,000 troops to the area to help reinforce security for the summit between Russian President Putin and President Biden next week. The Dow is down 43 points. The Nasdaq ahead 22. This is SRN News. Are you dealing with personal or business tax issues with the IRS? Does the thought of wage garnishments, bank levies, tax penalties, or having to engage with the IRS worry you? Owing taxes to the IRS or state can be stressful, and ignoring them can make your situation worse. At Federal Tax Law Group, we help individuals and businesses reduce debts and negotiate with the IRS Fresh Start Program. Our assistance can save you from drowning in taxes and may even keep you free of prosecution. With over two decades of experience, our tax professionals understand your needs and will customize a tax solution that's in your best interest. Call Federal Tax Law Group at 800-500-9172 for a free consultation to discuss resolving your tax problem. That's 800-500-9172. Again, 800-500-9172. Or visit us online at federaltaxlawgroup.com. Jay Sekulow sees dysfunction from the Biden administration. But we know why they don't want to go down there. They don't no, want to they go down the there they don't want the imaging and they don't want to own this. So the best way to do this is what Wes Smith wrote in his piece that said ACLJ. The reason there's disorder on the border is because it's delusion, denial, and dysfunction, Wes. Yeah, the delusion part of it is, you know, they really apparently don't understand the whys of what is going on. Sekulow, live, weeknights at 6, right before Larry Elder at 7, at a.m. 1250, the end. A child's body temperature rises three to five times faster than an adult's, and leaving a child in a hot vehicle could lead to their death very quickly. Tragically, in 2020, 
24 children died of pediatric vehicular heat stroke, and many of these incidents occurred when parents or caregivers simply forgot the child was in the car. Please set yourself reminders on your cell phone or place something you'll need in the back seat so you don't forget your child. Always look for your baby before you lock. Brought to you by NHTSA. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. That offer's valid through 63021. All with 12 months no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrpittsburgh.com. AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. A division of Salem Media Group. Listen on the Answer mobile app, smart speakers, tune in, iHeart, or radio.com. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. Parkway West remains shut down on the inbound side with an accident between 19 and the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Huge delay from 79 on down. Just avoid it if you can. Inbound 28, that's also jammed solid 910 to pass Delafield Avenue with an accident. Parkway East still just seeing typical delays. Outbound 51 slows to Library Road, about a seven-minute delay there. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. Well, of a shower in places this evening. Otherwise, partly cloudy skies for tonight with a low of 61. Times of clouds and sunshine on tap for tomorrow. Tomorrow's high, 83. Times of clouds and sun for Sunday. We'll see a couple of showers and a thunderstorm. Sunday, expect a high of 81. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. The John Steigerwall Show. AM 1250, The Answer. Well, not too long ago, we had Brian Preston of PJ Media on to defend the Alamo. Not the actual building, but the attacks on the history of it. And there's a new book out about it, which we're not going to mention the name of. And the three authors have a piece at time.com. The headline is, It's Time to Correct the Myths About the Battle of the Alamo. As soon as I saw it, I thought of Brian Preston. And he's here again to defend uh, the uh, the the legend. Or sh- uh, thanks for being here, uh, Brian. And should I introduce you as Mister Alamo? <laughs> sure, I love the term, so let's please use it. And uh, yeah, I'm not here to defend the myth or anything like that or the legend. I'm here to defend the facts of the Alamo uh, because okay. the facts are what these fellows are getting wrong. And there's not enough pushback going on out there from our public officials or the media, even here in Texas, which is very frustrating to me. So right now, uh, you know, I guess I'm it. I'm Mr. Alamo. So here I am. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and l- let's start with the hump. Uh, what yeah. might, might seem like a small detail, but it's huge, and the authors got that wrong right from the start. Yeah, so the everyone who – so visualize the Alamo in your head right now, everyone who's listening. There's a hump in the middle of the facade, right, as you're looking at it, that hump right in the middle. That was not there during the battle. 
1836. That was added by the United States Army 14 years later. So the authors are using an illustration of the Alamo that was drawn in about the 1870s for a history book at the time. And this illustration is completely wrong. It has the hump on the front of the Alamo on the facade, the hump that we all know and love. Well, most of us love it. Um, it wasn't there. And when I saw this illustration being used with articles that these authors are writing about their own book, that raised the red flag with me. Because anyone who is writing about the Alamo and its history has to know this. This is a basic one-on-one thing. Now, most Americans don't know this. Most fans of the Alamo actually don't know that the hump was added later. But if you're going to go around busting myths about the Alamo, you've got to do the research. You have to do the homework. And knowing details like when the hump was there and when the hump was not there are important. And they're getting that wrong, which I think suggests that they may be getting a lot else wrong in their research, too. So what what is it about? I mean, it's just a hump on the building, but you point out in the piece that that, that it's an illustration. It's a drawing, uh, obviously. Uh, and mm-hmm. what's going on above, uh, uh, behind, and around the hump that uh, is um, falsely depicting what was actually going on while the battle was uh, taking place? Right. So this one gets into more of how the battle actually happened. So the hump was added by the army in 1850, and they added it because they put a roof on the Alamo. It didn't have one during the battle. There was no roof there during the battle. So they add the hump to hide the gable that was on the roof, one of those sloped roofs. The illustration that these authors are using, very conically, actually, has a bunch of the defenders standing in the corner of the Alamo and the facade, like on the right side of it as you're looking at it. One of the guys is waving a flag. A couple of them look like they're waving swords. It's sort of like a bleacher section for the battle that's going on in the courtyard below them, which is not how any of that would have taken place. It's sort of like that Facebook commercial of, you know, that's not how any of this works. Um, mm-hmm. There was no roof there for those guys to stand on. There was a ramp that went up from the front of the Alamo several feet in toward the back of it, and they had a cannon and some rifles up on the back of the Alamo guarding the west approach to it. But that section where those guys are standing, that little bleacher section, wasn't there. And one of the guys appears to be waving an American flag. That's, that's hugely anachronistic. They, they, they weren't waving an American flag at the Alamo. Uh, from what we do know, they were waving a flag that was a Mexican flag that had 1824 printed on it because what they, what they were actually fighting for at the Alamo was the restoration of the Federalist Constitution of 1824. And they may have been flat, flying other flags, such as the New Orleans, New Orleans Grade, which was a volunteer unit that came in. Uh, they had a flag at the Alamo, and there's some other units there, but no one was flying an American flag. Uh, and for those fellows to be standing up there in that corner, uh, sort of cheering the troops on, it was like, guys, you need to be down there in the fight, or you need to be shooting. <laughs> you need to be waving a flag up there, where, by the way, there's no root. <laughs> and and these guys uh, start out the, the piece talking about uh, Santa Anna's feelings and how America, America should actually feel sympathy for him. That's a pretty big uh, switch from the story yeah. we've been told. Yeah, and, and they're just getting their history wrong there because they make it sound like the colonists came into Texas from the United States and then started agitating and started causing problems. And then when Santa Anna sent his troops in, uh, they shot and killed a bunch of them. Uh, there's some truth in that, but the bigger truth is that Santa Ana himself switched sides. And I think a lot of folks actually don't know this. 
is that Santa Ana starting out in the early 1830s was a federalist. He was, he, he proclaimed that he had more of an American outlook on how government should be organized with a weaker federal government and stronger states. Mexico had states in those days, like it does now in Texas, and Coahuila were joined in one of those states. So Santa Ana was on the federalist side, which is where the Texas colonists were and the Tejano colonists. They were federalists, most of them. So you get to about 1834, 1835, Santa Ana takes power as dictator, and he flips sides. He flips sides and becomes a centralist, making himself a dictator, and he tosses out the Constitution. That's what started the war. That's what the war was about, was the abrogation of the 1824 Federalist Constitution and Santa Ana abolishing legislatures in the states, abolishing local power, and amassing all power unto himself. And when he did that, Texas rebelled, but so did about six or seven other states across Mexico. It wasn't a rebellion that was just confined to Texas. In fact, there was a huge battle in Zacatecas where a Mexican governor led an army in the field against Santa Ana and lost, and then Santa Ana sent his troops into the town there, and they just went in and raped and pillaged and created and committed a number of atrocities for 24 to 48 hours. That was all on Santa Ana's orders. So the Texans knew that going into 1836, as the war is building up, they know if they lose to him, they're going to be massacred. So he's not going to spare any quarter. He's already shown that with his own people in Mexico. They have no choice but to fight. And the authors leave all of this out. They leave all of this out. And they're just not rendering the revolution fairly or accurately when they do that. And uh, this is important, and we're talking to uh, Brian Preston, who, by the way, these authors uh, are the ones who, one of the authors, I think, is you wrote is the guy who uh, gave you the, they started calling you Mr. Alamo in, in a. That's right. Uh, they, it was they were, it was in an insulting way, I guess, because they think you're. I don't know if you're, you are a little bit too defensive of the uh, of the Alamo and, and of the story. Well, they, they give me that name in the book because at one point I was one of the leaders of the current preservation project that's going on at the Alamo, and. My role in that, I was on the master plan committee, so we were actually designing what's going to happen there at that point, and I was in charge of communications for it. So I went all over Texas. Anywhere anybody would invite me, I would go and give a presentation. And I would also be on the radio, like I am now. I would do TV, whatever. Wherever anybody wanted me to talk about this, I would go talk about it. That was my job, and it was my passion. I really loved doing it. Um, So they called me Mr. Alamo because whenever the project got into trouble, uh, Commissioner Bush would deploy me, and I would go be Mr. Alamo and talk to people about this. Um, and it was usually, because, a lot of times, it was because somebody was getting some aspect of the project wrong, and they were usually accusing us the other way. These guys say bad things about the revolution and say the defenders weren't brave and all that. A lot of the criticisms, criticisms we got was that we were trying to rewrite the history. Well, no, we weren't. We were just trying to preserve the Alamo and do what's best for it. But that got me the Mr. Alamo name from those guys that wrote the book. And, you know, I, I kind of take it as a compliment, actually, because I did put 5,000 miles on the roads around this state talking about it, and I was anywhere and I was everywhere, and um, it, was, it was an interesting time. Uh, you know, there were times when I felt like I might be taking as many shots as some of the lesser defenders myself. It was uh, it was not always easy. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. And, and this is important, not just because of the Alamo and because of Texas, but isn't isn't the fact that these guys are writing a book about it and that they are going to be getting a lot of publicity for the book and very little pushback on their story because 
the attitude by so many in the media is to uh, immediately agree with anything that um, destroys what they consider to be the myth of America, you know, uh, yeah. the 1619 Project and all that stuff. It's all about just dismantling whatever we've been told about the country for the last couple hundred years. Yeah, I mean, that's, they even make explicit that that charge, that they want to change how we talk about the Alamo uh, based on how it's been talked about for the last 200 years. And they mix some things in that are true along with a lot of things that are just, either they just learned them and are shocked to learn them or that are just false. Uh, for instance, they, they accuse me and, and the folks on the Alamo Project of, of pushing what they call a heroic Anglo narrative. Uh, and they put it in capital letters as though that was something we were pushing as a brand or as a thing. And we were never doing that. In fact, in my presentations, and I gave over 50 of them around the state, you know, 5,000 miles on various cars from El Paso to Tyler and everywhere in, be in between, um, I, always, I always went out of my way to discuss the Tejano contribution and the fact that the Tejanos made extra brave choices that the Anglos didn't have to make because the Tejanos were siding, in many cases, against their own brothers, cousins, fathers, and so forth when they chose rebellion. And they also knew, one of them in particular was a soldier in the Mexican Army. His name was Jose Toribio Lozoya. He was born in the Alamo, by the way, and actually served in the unit, the Mexican Army unit, that was stationed at the Alamo, which gave the Alamo its name. And he sides with the rebels. And he knows, he has to know, when he sides with the rebels, He's marking himself for death because he's committed treason as a soldier. Um, and yet he's out of it. And he stays in the Alamo. And not only does he stay in the Alamo and fight in the Alamo, he may have been one of the last men fighting because his body is found just inside the church doors. I think his story is gripping. It gives me chills when I think about it. And I learned his story from one of his descendants who still lives in San Antonio. She's a, a wonderful friend of mine now, and I met her during this project. And when she told me his story, I just I, I was I was flabbergasted. Why do we not know more about him? So, whenever I went and gave these presentations, and like I just did now, I always talked about him. So there was ne never this heroic Anglo narrative that these guys charged. It just wasn't the case. We were not pushing that, and we, what we were pushing is is the truth and the facts. What the Texas Revolution was and wasn't about, and what really happened at the Alamo, and who was there, and why were they there? Why did they stay? Why didn't they go? Why did they fight? And ultimately, what were their goals? Uh, and with someone like Lasoya and Demacio Jimenez and Juan Seguin and many of these other figures, um, they deserve more attention. They really do. Their choices were heroic. Um, but we never pushed anything like what these guys were saying, and I don't know even where they're getting that unless they're looking at some, like, 1930s narrative and then saying we were pushing that, which... We weren't pushing that. We weren't even pushing a 1960s narrative. The narrative I was, I was embracing and discussing was cutting-edge research. I was constantly doing research in these days to learn more and more and more about the Alamo, the latest and the greatest, and everything I could learn about it. So I could just let Texans know, this is what we're doing. This is what this project is for. Well, uh, they write uh, that the battle should, have, should never have been fought. And as mm -hmm. I think you mentioned, uh, the, uh, lots of guys ran out the back door. So they, the picture they seem to be painting is that uh, the, these guys were victims uh, in, to be there in the first place, and they tried to get out when the getting was good, as opposed to, obviously, the story that we've been told about the Alamo. 
then why were yeah, supposed they're, to remember? Yeah, they're trying to make the case that they're fools and cowards. Fools for staying and cowards for running away. And I don't think either of those narratives really hold up very well. Um, there's a lot of debate over what Sam Houston, the commander of the Texas Army, meant when he ordered Barrett and Bowie and Neal, who was the previous commander before um, uh, Travis, um, when he ordered them to, if you see fit, destroy the Alamo and move on. The idea of Houston's order there was, first, use your discretion. If you think it wise to destroy the Alamo and move on, do that. And the, the aim of destroying it would have been to deprive Santa Ana of using it as a fort. The Texians had been using it as, as a fort since about December of 1835 when they captured it from General Coast. There was a first battle of the Alamo called the Siege of Bayhart. The Texians take it in that battle, and they're holding it, and that's why they're in it when Santa Ana marches in, it's because they had taken it. So Sam Houston says you can blow it up and leave if you want to, so they can't use it as a fort, but you don't have to stay, but it's, it's up to you. It's under your discretion. And Bowie and Travis decide they're going to stay because San Antonio is such a key site, the capital of Texas in those days, and it represented a strategic vantage of keeping the capital and keeping a force there. So they elected to stay. Now, there's debate over whether the battle bought time for Sam Houston or not. Sam Houston was largely in retreat. Um, during this period because he was trying to build his forces. And there's a debate over how strategically valuable that was. There's one thing that's not up for debate, which these authors don't even discuss, which is that the defenders, when they stay and they are killed to a man in the fort, Santa Ana has their bodies burned on pyres outside the fortress down to the south of it after the battle. And he has them stacked on, on piles of wood, the bodies, and burned along either side of a road that went in and out of San Antonio, the main thoroughfare going in and out. He does this as a symbol to the rest of the revolutionaries to say, I'm going to do this to you when I catch you. This is a move to intimidate them into submission. But, of course, they don't read it that way. They read it as, okay, he catches us. He's going to kill us. That means we have to fight for our lives. So I think that move galvanizes the revolution. doesn't intimidate them at all. So the strategic value of the Alamo is actually a philosophical one. It's more one of, of the heart. It tells the revolutionaries, we have to fight, or we're going to be murdered, and we're going to be denied a proper Christian burial. So the Alamo actually is a very important battle, just not in the way these guys understand it. And they also don't understand this idea of some of the defenders escaping as the battle is progressing. Progressing hey. in 19th century warfare. I'll go ahead. Hey, Brian, I'm out of time. And what I want people oh. to do is this book is going to get probably a lot of publicity and uh, very little pushback. They should check your piece out at pjmedia.com uh, as a, uh, a way to uh, guard against believing what these idiots are putting out. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you, John. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay, that's Brian Preston. I'm sorry we ran out of time, and we'll be right back. generations of fighting, anger, and pain, the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is still one of the most contentious and misunderstood issues of our time, raising the question, is it possible to truly love your enemy? In the new film, Hope in the Holy Land, filmmaker Todd Moorhead discovers the truth behind the headlines and misinformation with personal stories from Jews, Muslims, and Christians in their own words 
offering a beautifully produced, politically nuanced, and morally sensitive look at both sides of the conflict. Bishop Kenneth Ulmer says the movie is embarrassingly enlightening. Ambassador Michael Oren calls it a candid, courageous journey through the complexities of the conflict. Hope in the Holy Land takes an honest look at the history and history in the making as you've never seen before. Don't miss Hope in the Holy Land. Available now at SalemNow.com. Watch this film and pass it on. Go to SalemNow.com today. Sounds and pounds of fur. Our hairballs have hairballs. Our cat mama, she's 10 years old. She has dandruff and an oily coat. I have two cats, Zippy and Daisy. Daisy sheds like crazy. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them to live long, healthy, happy lives. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. I just tried this wonderful, catalicious Dynavite for cats, and my cat has been on it for two weeks. She is not scratching anymore. She's not chewing anymore. It is just the best. I was thrilled when I heard Dynavite for cats was coming out because I would seen the changes in my dog. To introduce my cat to Dynavite, I took the advice from Dynavite and put their food on top of just a scoop in the bowl just to get them used to it because I know if I even switch one little thing, they put their nose up to it. There was not one problem. Dynavite for life. You won't believe how happy your cat will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E.com. By now, you've all heard me talk about my pillow and how it's literally changed my life. They won't go flat. You can wash and dry them as many times as you want, and they maintain their shape. They're made in the USA, and for a limited time, Mike is offering his premium my pillows for his lowest price ever. You can get a queen size premium my pillow for twenty nine ninety eight. That's regularly sixty nine ninety eight. That's a forty dollar savings. Kings are only five dollars more. All my pillow products come with a ten year warranty and a sixty day money back guarantee. Go to mypillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code STAG. You will also get deep discounts on all my pillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets, the my pillow mattress topper, and my pillow towel sets. Or call 800 716 8087 and use promo code STAG. 800 716 8087, promo code STAG. Have you heard? Rodents are taking over. According to various news articles, recent COVID-19-related disruptions have caused abnormal behaviour in rodents, making them become more aggressive. Don't let your home or business be invaded with a disease-carrying rodent infestation. Keep them away with Plug-In Pest-Free. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest-Free. Using the active wiring in your home or business, Plug-In Pest-Free goes to work keeping rodents and pests away the more humane way without using toxic poisons or other harsh pesticides. Just plug it in. It's that simple. Now that's fair income. Stop the infestation and order yours today at gopestfree.com and receive a free hand sanitizer pen with every order using promo code PEN. That's gopestfree.com, promo code P-E-N. Go pestfree.com promo code pen. Don't spray and regret. Plug in and forget. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. So uh, this is the end of an era. It's my last show from uh, my palatial estate here in Washington County. Uh, I will be in the studio again on Monday. Uh, after uh, I've been gone, it's only been, uh, what, three weeks since uh, I've been gone because I was going to come back as soon as the curve was flattened. 
but apparently something happened because it's been uh, about 14 or 15 months since I've been into the studio. So I will try it again on Monday, and uh, we'll see if I can uh, make it work from in there. I have decided to um, institute a policy now that I'm coming back, and I, I think I'm a pretty big deal. Uh, that the all the employees, and this is for you listening back there, Mike, who's uh, running the board. There will be no. I will not tolerate any eye contact with me as a, <laughs> when I come back. Uh, so I, I, I really hope that everybody respects that in the building, and that includes like the the security people. Please, please, don't make eye contact with me when I come back. I, I get that idea from Barbara Streisand, by the way, who actually seriously instituted that at one point. Thanks for listening. Talk to you Monday. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to Darren. And I think I'm kidding about the eye contact. The John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group.